Welcome to the Roadie on Horn podcast. Today is May 5th at time of recording. We have an awesome podcast, as we always do on this show. And I'm joined by my awesome podcast co-host, my great friend, Donnie. Donnie, how are you doing today, man? Oh, I'm just just peachy, man. Just peachy. I mean, in- interesting analogy. We're going to get into some things regarding your favorite hockey team, the New York Rangers, who made a bombshell move literally as we were going to start recording this podcast. But thankfully, we waited a little bit. So we'll have some Rangers news to break down in a little bit. But I want to start at the top of our podcast with the NFL Draft. Of course, you guys know the NFL Draft, one of my favorite events of the year, uh, pretty much all throughout sports. I just love the NFL Draft. It's great stuff. Really want to start by talking about our favorite teams. So, Donnie, I'll turn it over to you. I want to hear your thoughts on the New York Giants, what they were able to do in the draft, and kind of your overall thoughts on how that went out for you. So, my it, it went very strange, not exactly how I would have predicted it to go. Um, so, the, I don't know. The Giants came in at 12, and we were, we were in a decent spot, you know, and then, you know, rumors start coming out, I, I would say, I think I think like a week before within the week of the draft, saying, oh, they, they fall in love with wide receiver, um, which is not necessarily a position that I or most Giants fans would have really been interested in. And I think, think that's a fair analogy, although there are Giants fans out there that would have loved for them to pick one of the wide receivers in the draft, the, the, the uh, top three there. Um, did not have that opportunity, regardless, and then they ended up trading down from 12 to 20. Uh, picked up a first-rounder next year from the Bears, um, which is really interesting. It's, it's a piece that could... I, I'm not exactly sure how good it's going to be as um, I, I would assume that they are going to get eight or nine wins next year, the Bears. So, I mean, maybe a mid-round first, I, I think you would say. Um, traded down to 20 and then went off the board almost, like, like I'd say 15, 20 picks earlier than wh- where a player was expected in Kadarius Tony. Um I, I'm I'm still a little bit confused, but I mean, I definitely understand where they're coming from with, with this perspective, at least. I understand, you know, um, they felt as if there was a need to grab one more playmaker, which I guess, you know, they could have definitely done worse with this pick. Uh, I've seen a lot of people say, that, oh, this is a very, very good pick. He could end up being a, an extremely talented wide receiver, um, which is fine. And again, you know, not really filling needs um, necessarily. And then... Uh, they got the second round comes around. Uh, they trade down again, which which was so strange considering the guys on the board at the time, um, including um, Ojolari, who they ended up taking at fifty, were on the board. And I think both you and myself would have been saying, "Oh, like th- this is a perfect spot for them to take him without trading down." And then once they traded down, I was like, "Oh, this they're gonna lose out on all the players." You know, obviously being pessimistic a little bit because you know. If you're a Giants fan, I think if you agree with me at this point that being optimistic about the Giants, there's not real much. There's not much there. Like it, it's been, it's been a tough couple of years here. Um, but yeah, they ended up getting Ojolari at fifty. Who I think, uh, RK, you would agree that he was like a borderline first rounder yeah, this I year. Yeah, I first round grade on Ojolari. I thought it was one of my favorite picks of the draft for sure. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's I, I guess you can say like redemption there. Gettleman did a good job and did a finessing out assets you know ending up with with good players but um as the draft went on you know they drafted db in the third round which was uh, definitely not where i was heading at all i thought 
So my thought process was basically we're not going to have a corner in this draft. Um, not going to get a safety in this draft. Not going to go anything with DB considering. Um, when you look back at the last couple of years, uh, what they've drafted. So last year they got McKinney. They got Darnay Holmes. Uh, the year before they ended up drafting um, DeAndre Baker, who is now a chief, I believe. I could be wrong with that. Um, and Julian Love in that same draft, Corey Ballantyne. So they've spent a lot of draft capital on DBs recently. I didn't think DB would be a high need for them. I was thinking offensive line would be the go-to. Uh, it turns out they didn't take offensive line at all. They didn't They didn't draft a single offensive lineman. Instead, they drafted a running back, two corners, um, defensive line, uh, wide receiver. Um, but yeah, overall... I don't know. It's just it's a really strange thought process considering from the outside looking in, and I think you would agree with me, offensive line and defensive line were the two biggest needs coming in this draft, especially edge rusher. And, you know, while Ojolari does fit the bill a little bit, he, he will definitely help um, as, as a guy that can get to the quarterback and can do a lot of good things. Um, overall, I'm not sure exactly what the Giants were thinking in, in the long run in terms of filling needs. And, and I really hope that they know something that I don't because... Um, you know, coming into the year, I, I don't I don't really rely on these grades that much, but, you know, it's like PFF had the Giants at the second worst offensive line last year, and that was before getting rid of Kevin Zietler um, and, you know, Nate Solders back, which is just not exciting for anybody. Um, but, yeah, overall, I don't know. If we were giving a draft grade to the Giants draft, I'd probably give them, like, a B-. minus. Like, they didn't do anything special. They went off the board for wide receiver in the first round where they could have picked somebody um, with a little bit more value to them. At the time, considering they desperately need to block for for their um, the quarterback that they're putting all, all the eggs in the basket here, and Darisaw was still on the board, um, but overall, you know, it could have definitely been worse. They, they were not one of the losers of the draft, I would say. I think they ended up, you know, Ojolari really it was a redemption pick. If they had, if they had taken somebody other than Ojolari, if they had went off the board in the second round, they could have had a disaster of a draft. But overall, I think they did a decent job. Um, what were your thoughts on just the whole Giants draft real quick? Yeah, Donnie, I thought you did a really good job breaking that down. I agree with pretty much all of what you kind of said there. I'm, I was glad that the Giants were able to trade down. Obviously, we'll touch on the Eagles in a little bit, but the Eagles were able to jump up in front of the Giants who were at 11. Eagles were at 12, jump up, take Devontae Smith. So that means they kind of created an opportunity where the Giants could trade down a little bit, given that that kind of top tier of receivers with the top three with Waddle, Chase, and Devontae Smith were all gone. So the fact that they moved back and were able to pick Tony at 20, I do like Kadarius Tony a lot. And really when the Giants made this pick, what kind of struck me was a similar reaction to I had when the Eagles took Jalen Rager last year, and that I really like the individual player. I think Kadarius Toney and Jalen Rager individually are both very, very quality players, but maybe more where I would see their value or slot being picked would be in kind of that early second round kind of range rather than more of kind of like the late to mid first range where they were able to get Tony. But as you said, with Ojolari, I think that's a really good kind of bounce back pick, as you said there. At if the I had a first round grade on Ojolari, as I mentioned briefly earlier so I thought that was a really good pick for the Giants and, and as you said too Donnie I was a little surprised that they weren't able to address more on the offensive line as you said though they were able to address that a lot last year Andrew Thomas met per two tackles two of their top three picks they also had Shane Lemieux as a guard in the fifth round a year ago but I still feel like that's an area where the Giants consistently year after year they wonder why their offensive line isn't able to compete and the fact that they weren't able to address at all any position on the O-line in this draft I thought that was kind of a missed opportunity yeah, and I mean, I think the biggest thing just in general is the fact that, you know, Dave Gettleman coming into his tenure with the Giants was billed as the guy that loves the, the line. He loves building up the line. 
And I think we've seen that that is not necessarily the case because the offensive line is is crap uh, at this point. It's very, very mediocre. And the defensive line, I'm not exactly sure what their plans are. Um, obviously, they have some decent pieces, but they've also not really addressed um, players that have left. You know, it's like we're, we're going into the season with um, what looks to be, I don't know, maybe not a, a, a super solid defensive line, a pretty league average defensive line. And again, you know, it's just, you can bill a guy all you want. You can talk about a GM's history all you want. But again, uh, Dave Gettleman has, has gone off the board multiple times from what the history would have told you, especially considering he had never traded down before. And then this year he trades down twice in his first two picks, which is just, you know, really strange. Um, overall, you know, I, I guess you could say I'm content with, with the Giants draft. But again, it's like, I think the worst part in sports, and we've talked about this so many times with different sports, I think the Minnesota Wild are our, um, they are our, our defined team. Um, you know that the team will probably not be winning anything anytime soon. They, they are capped out at a certain finish. Like, there's no chance for them to win at all. And the Giants are in this position and have been in this position for a long time. It's like, they're not bad enough to be the number one pick. They're not Jaguars bad, but they're not good enough to be a, a, a playoff contender. And they have not, I would say, they haven't really progressed at all in, in two or three years at this point. I'd say they've maybe even gotten worse in terms of their their long-term outlook. And, you know, it's kind of a scary a scary thought process long-term to think about Dave Gettleman having a job, um, job security and everything. But, you know, um, the draft is, is the one glimmer of hope you get every year. And this year, the draft was, oh, they could definitely address some problems. They have a perfect pick to where they can just watch the draft uh, the draft board, you know, kind of fly off, see who goes, and then um, react accordingly. And they didn't necessarily react accordingly this year, but I guess they ended up with some decent pieces. So, I mean, it's like um, an average draft at best. Uh, whereas I think, you know, you're going to be a little bit happy about the Eagles draft than I am about the Giants draft, I'd say. Yeah, it's a good transition. You kind of talked about that middling state that we talk about a lot between different sports, Donnie. You mentioned the Minnesota Wild in there. But I would say everybody in the NFC East falls in this category where they're just like, yeah, they're okay, but they're not like a disaster. And the Eagles definitely kind of classify into this. As I said briefly earlier, Eagles initially came into this draft with a sixth overall pick. They moved back to 12, picking up Miami's next year first. So both of our teams able to add another future first-round pick into next year so that'll make draft season next year a lot of fun for both of us but the Eagles end up moving up again they move back to 12 they move back up to 10 where the Cowboys were trading away a third round pick in that deal but they're able to take Devontae Smith who was one of my favorite players in the draft he was my third ranked player in the draft overall just behind Trevor Lawrence and Kyle Pitts so I'm very high on Devontae Smith I think it's a great fit for the Eagles because historically the Eagles have been very bad at developing wide receivers they've taken wide receiver early on in drafts before Jalen Rager last year Nelson Aguilar in years before JJ Ortega Whiteside was a second round pick you know they've been okay but you know I think you would have liked more production but Devontae Smith this guy is NFL ready I mean he was a senior at Alabama he just won the Heisman Trophy was dominant in the SEC I think he's going to come in and be an immediate contributor so I really really like that pick for the Eagles and then Going into their second round pick, they were able to take Landon Dickerson, another Alabama offensive lineman. This is probably going to be the last year where Jason Kelsey is playing for the Eagles. He's been kind of flirting with retirement the last couple of years, opts to come back. But the Eagles have also kind of had some issues with the O-line. Last year, it was a disaster. They had an incredible amount of injuries. So really like that they were able to kind of add there uh, to the offensive line in the second round with Dickerson. So two Bama players at the top of the Eagles draft. So I was definitely a fan of that. The rest of the draft thought it was okay. 
they grabbed Kenneth Gainwell in the fifth round. I thought that was a pretty solid pick. Should be able to help out in that backfield, take a little bit of hits away from Miles Sanders. So I think that's a win. I'm definitely pro running back by committee, even though Miles Sanders is definitely still that top back. So overall, pretty happy with the Eagles draft. Really, really like the Devontae Smith pick. So I think that's going to be an immediate contributor, as I mentioned. So was pretty glad with that, uh, that selection for the Eagles there. Yeah, you know, the Eagles are a team that is, they're in a different spot than the Giants are. So it's like you, I don't think you could really go wrong with a lot of the picks that you could have made. Um, and I think that's, that's definitely a good spot to be in, you know, giving yourself more options to where you can turn guys into long-term starters because you have a lot of holes. And again, you know, it's like the Eagles are a team that they're, they're starting into a rebuild. I would say they, they are, um, I don't know necessarily where you classify them necessarily because it's not like they're going to be bad enough to be the number, number one pick like ever, I don't think. I think, you know, the Eagles organization in general has too much pride to, to put a team out there that is bad enough to be the number one pick. Um, but again, you the Eagles, I, I feel like they do a really good job of addressing needs, whether those needs are de like the, the definite player um, that they want to have, you know, build their team around like like Rager last year. You know, that, that still remains to be seen a little bit. But I think the best thing that you could have done this year is draft receiver and, you know, getting Devontae Smith, not a bad idea. Um, Jalen Hurts has weapons. You know, it's it's definitely something, if Jalen Hurts is bad, then it's probably not necessarily on the weapons of the guys he's throwing to. Jalen Hurts will have some guys to throw to, and I think that's a huge positive for you as an Eagles fan, considering I think the biggest thing with a lot of teams that draft a quarterback and then go to the quarterback in, in either the rookie year or the second year is these guys are throwing to nobodies. They're throwing, throwing to... Um, middling mediocre at best receiving cores and I think the Eagles are are go trying to I don't know giving Hurts all the opportunities in the world to, to actually be good and I think that's a big positive for you no doubt definitely agree with that last year you know Jalen Hurts was kind of just thrown out there at the end of the year it was a disaster for the Eagles they had 15 different starting offensive line or combinations in 16 games like I definitely don't expect that to happen again. That's a really just extreme situation. That's never happened in NFL history that a team had 15 different starting offensive line combinations in a season. So uh, at the very least, they should be able to get some reinforcements back with the return of guys like Andre Dillard at left tackle and Brandon Brooks at right guard. So you still have an aging offensive line, as I mentioned. I think Brooks, Kelsey, and Lane Johnson, you know, they're they're definitely veteran players, and I think that's what you want in an offensive line. But as I said, really like that Landon Diggerson pick. So I think they're able to surround Jalen Hurts with a little bit more talent still remains to be seen if Zach Ertz will get traded like is kind of all the rumors around defense that's also another story you know we'll kind of see they weren't really able to address corner opposite Darius Slay they had Zach McPherson in the fourth round but I mean I don't expect him to be an immediate starter day one by any means so maybe Avante Maddox ends up being that guy but I'm not a huge fan of him on the outside so definitely still have their roles do the Eagles new head coach Nick Sirianni coming in so uh obviously a lot remains to be seen on that but yeah definitely was really glad to see Devontae Smith uh wind up on the Eagles one of my favorite players in the draft so good analysis on our two favorite teams definitely wanted to start our podcast by doing that there's one other team I wanted to highlight their draft just because I thought it was really really good and that's actually the Carolina Panthers really like this team's draft they took JC Horn at eight which I thought was a really good pick. I had J.C. Horn as a top corner in this draft. Pat Sertan won one pick after, but I did like Horn a little bit over Sertan, so it was good to see Carolina make that same decision. But even some of their depth picks as well. Their next pick, Terrace Marshall out of LSU at 59. I thought that was a great pick. We were talking about value, and maybe Kadarius Sony was picked a little bit over value. I think Terrace Marshall is an absolute steal at 59. I think he's going to be a really good fit for Carolina. Also, players that Carolina was able to take later in the draft that I was a fan of, Brady Christensen, tackle from BYU, Juba Hubbard, running back from 
Oklahoma State. Davion Nixon from Iowa. Big fan of Davion Nixon uh, coming into this draft. Keith Taylor, Deontay Brown, Shai Smith, a couple other guys that I was a big fan of. So really top to bottom, I was a big fan of Carolina's draft. Obviously, Matt Rule entering his second year now and kind of a nice opportunity in that division. We've kind of touched on Carolina uh, a couple of times on this podcast that obviously they were able to add Sam Darnold, a little bit kind of a new direction that Carolina's taking. So that was just got them one team that I was really, really impressed with their draft. But um, if anything to add there with Carolina or any other teams uh, that you really liked what they were able to do on draft day, Donnie? Oh, I mean, definitely with Carolina. I'm just, you know, you have to root for Sam Darnold, I feel like. You know, he's been given the, the shortest end of the stick of any, like, I don't know, like high-end quarterback prospect we had in the last couple of years. It's like the Jets were, were an absolute tire fire the entire time he was there. And now he goes to an organization where he has, he has it made for him, basically. It's like, you know, I, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of question marks. It's like Christian McCaffrey's health is, is one of them because, you know, he got hurt, came back last year, got hurt, you know, a couple of times. Um, but yeah, again, you know, it's like teams should be developing young quarterbacks around talent. And I mean, if you don't give your young quarterback guys to throw to, you don't give them um, anybody blocking for him. You know, we definitely see time and time again, these guys either fizzle out or do not hit their fullest potential because you're just, I don't know, they don't have, they don't have enough talent around them. Um, you know, I think of the Panthers as a team that a couple of years ago, you could have looked at them after the Cam Newton years, especially as a team that was really directionless. And now you can say the Panthers are, they will have a good chance to make the playoffs for the next couple of years at the very least. So they are proof amongst other teams like the Browns, for example, that you can be very bad and you can still figure your way out. It takes two or three years and bang, you know, you're back in, um, I don't know necessarily wild card contention. I don't know how good the Panthers are going to be. I really couldn't tell you. And I don't think anybody really knows because it's all dependent on a quarterback that we haven't really seen him play with like the fullest potential possible. But man, it's just, it's so weird to see some of these teams, like especially the Panthers and the Browns, the Browns, especially out of nowhere, turn their organization from useless for forever into a team that could, I don't know, potentially be a Super Bowl contender within a couple of years. And I think a lot of that has to do with drafting and having a front office that's capable and having coaching that's capable. Whereas we see time and time again, in the NFL, um, you know, finding that combination is not really that easy. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, Carolina just definitely a team that kind of caught my eye, really kind of intriguing uh, going into this year. As I was saying, that division is really interesting. Sure, you got the defending Super Bowl champs with Tampa Bay, but you got also the New Orleans Saints who just lost Drew Brees, and you have the Atlanta Falcons who are still kind of a mess, if we're being honest on that. So, um, yeah, good conversation there. Any other thoughts on this NFL draft that just passed, Donnie? Otherwise, we can move on to hockey. Uh, not a whole lot. Um, draft season is always interesting because it's just, you know, first off, the smoke screen at three was very, very funny. Like, you, you, just, you had to know. You had to know something was going on there. Um, guys don't just rise up the draft board like that over over people like Trey Lance, who Trey Lance was coming to the year. He was like a guaranteed top five pick. I don't think anybody was really arguing that. Uh, obviously, COVID happens and, you know, um, we, we've seen crazier things. Um, just one last thing, you know, props to the Bears. The Bears, you know, they put all their they put all their eggs in the basket and just just sent it and you know that's something you kind of have to respect for a team that was I believe they were eight and eight last year so I mean you know get them a quarterback if Fields is good this year they could end up being a nine ten eleven win team maybe not eleven but you know they could definitely improve and you know if if they found their franchise quarterback I really feel for Bears fans it's like man they have not had anybody throwing the ball even remotely decent since what Jay Cutler and even Jay Cutler you know it's like it's Jay Cutler. Um, you have to feel good for Bears fans. 
Yeah, that's a stun. I really did not expect going into the draft that it's like, damn, do you see what the Bears did getting Justin Fields at 11? That was oh, no, of course. I really ever could have envisioned. <laughs> of course, especially after a couple of years ago where they absolutely messed up with Trubisky. You were thinking, oh, we're going to play it safe a little bit. It's going to be a little bit relaxed. And, you know, QB1 Andy Dalton, we're ready for it. And, you know, it turns out, hey, Andy Dalton no longer QB1 probably. So, you know, dubs, dubs everywhere. Yeah, no doubt. You mentioning smoke screens too, Donnie, brought me up one final thought on the draft. Every year, there's always one guy that gets picked in the first round, you know, sometimes more. But in this year's draft, there was kind of one guy that got picked and you're like, what is what? They just did what? And this year, it was the New Orleans Saints. They took Peyton Turner with the 28th overall pick. And again, we had a situation where no one is talking about Peyton Turner as being a first round guy. And then, oh, here we come. It's draft day. And Adam Schefter puts out a tweet. Oh, look out for Peyton Turner tonight. He's got really high character and could go in the first round. It's like, okay, what are what are you guys doing? This is just a bad pick. If you're taking the guy that no one is talking about, and then it's draft day, and all of a sudden, oh, everyone forgot about this guy. Look out for Peyton Turner. This guy probably sucks, okay? I mean, nothing against Peyton Turner, but, I mean, that's just usually what happens. It was it was Jordan Brooks last year. With the It's usually the Seahawks that do this kind of thing. This year, it was Peyton Turner. So, you talking about smoke screens, that brought that back up for me. Every year, there's always, like, like, one or two guys, and it's like, what? Why are you taking this guy in the first round? Like, there's better players out there. They could have took Gregory Russo, who went to Buffalo two picks later. I mean, that, that, that was just a pick that really, I was just like, what are you guys doing? New Orleans Saints, come on, figure it out. But that's the best part about the NFL draft. It's like, guys like that... There's no rationale about a guy going higher than he should because he hasn't played in the last couple of months. Nothing's really happened. Like it's not like not like we're seeing these guys play and they get picked mid, uh, like like the middle of their season or whatever. Like they had a great game and then somebody jumps on them. It's like just out of nowhere these guys rise up 40, 50, 60 picks from where they should be and then they get they get taken a lot higher. I mean, you know, I, I saw a lot of people saying that he was like a mid to late second rounder, uh, probably or a high high third rounder, um, in, in a lot of people's. A lot of people's eyes, and I mean, it's like scouting. Every scouting department is different, so it's like you really never know. But again, you know, you you are you hit the nail on the head. The Seahawks really do that all the time, and that's because you know Pete just thinks he's a maniac. I don't know. Pete Pete thinks he knows everything, and the front office thinks they know everything in, in Seattle. And I mean, you know, they've had a good run, so props to them. But yeah, I, I definitely get it. I just don't understand how guys rise up draft boards out of nowhere. It's like, how does Mac Jones go from being a, a second or third round quarterback to? Um, number three overall potential, and then he goes in in the middle of the first round. You know, it's just I get it because of positional value, but like he hasn't played, nothing's happened. Like literally, nothing has happened. Yeah, I had to bring that up. That was a weird situation. We always get draft day, and Adam Schefter's like, "Oh, look out for this guy." You didn't. Nobody out here scouted him, but trust me, he's a first round pick. So I just thought that was really funny. So we'll get into some more draft thoughts, more kind of generic uh, draft reflection questions uh, once we get into that. But before we do that. Big news, as we alluded to at the top of the podcast, New York Rangers. A lot of things going on with the New York Rangers in really the last, like, two days. So, Donnie, I'm going to turn it over to you. Start with talking about what happened with Tom Wilson and Artemi Panarin and Pavel Buchnevich, then we can get into the, the front office mishaps uh, after that. So I'll turn it over to you. Okay, so um, incident number one, you know, there, there's a Rangers-Capitals game. Pavel Buchnevich, is, he's driving the net. He's jamming at the puck in front. Um, he does not score. The whistle blows. Tom Wilson jumps on him, cross-checks his neck to the ice while he's got his back turned to the ice, throws punches at his head, and then, you know, guys try to get Wilson off. Strom tries to get um, Tom Wilson off of Buchnevich, uh, does it su successfully for a little bit. Panarin gets in there, um, has his helmet fall off, and then Tom Wilson body slams him. Um, neck first to the ice, you know, really just, just an obscure, you know, something that you don't expect to see. I'll retweet it on the Roth pod. Uh, Twitter account if anyone wants to see it, if anyone has not seen it, and you, you need some context here. 
Um, so, you know, people are, people are up in arms. Obviously Tom Wilson, one of the biggest, if not the biggest goon in the NHL right now, he does not control his emotions, does not know how to play with any integrity. Um, and, and, you know, he has constantly been suspended for, for, you know, overdoing it over, you know, over using his, uh, his strength or whatever. And, you know, going a little loco, um, he has just been, he was suspended last month for boarding Brandon Carlo. Brandon Carlo didn't play, um, for 22 games, something like that. So that, that was great. Um, but we got to the suspension part of everything, and there was no suspension. He was fined $5,000, which is basically um, somebody tweeted that um, for anybody that works full time in Canada, that's $68.33. Um, so he got fined $68 for, for potentially, um, you know, doing something that could have potentially uh, landed somebody on, like long term injury type deal, like really dangerous, stupid. Um, I don't know, just stuff that shouldn't be in hockey. I'd say, you know, obviously Panarin's not going to play the rest of the year. He, he got hurt in that, that scuffle, lower body injury, probably a leg injury from falling backwards. Um, not necessarily a spot you want to be in. Um, but yeah, the, the Department of Player Safety or the Department of Lack Thereof of Player Safety decided to just fine him and call it a day. Uh, and, and now we're at a point where people are, are up in arms, very, very angry. And, you know, the Rangers play the Capitals uh, tonight as a recording, Wednesday, um, May 5th. Uh, and they play the Capitals again tonight. It could be an absolute shit show on the ice. Nobody really knows what's going on. So, you know, that's going to be a real doozy. Yeah, no doubt. As you said, I really think that the Department of Player Safety kind of dropped the ball on this Tom Wilson situation. And, you know, I was on Twitter reading a lot of people what they were saying about it. There was a clip that I watched of Lars Eller kind of talking about the situation. Obviously, another member of the Washington Capitals, one of Tom Wilson's teammates. And he was saying, he's like, look, you know, hockey, a lot of times there's these kind of skirmishes after the whistle. You, it's, it's a regular occurrence that you'll see guys pushing each other after the whistle. And that is true. I do think there's some validity. But I think what Tom Wilson did crossed the line. I mean, he was, it looked like intending to injure two of the star forwards on the Rangers. And one of them was Artemi Panarin. And now he's out for the season because of an injury that occurred. So, I, I think that it's unfair to really kind of classify this as, as just another event that happens in hockey. And Tom Wilson definitely does not get the benefit of a doubt. He is significantly a repeat offender. It is more than known that Tom Wilson is out there and he's looking to rustle some feathers, you know, cause some injuries. He's caused a lot of injuries. And in this case, it was to Artemi Panarin, again, the Rangers' best player. So I think it did cross the line. The fact that the Department of Player Safety didn't think this was a suspendable offense is something that I strongly disagree with. I think that, you know, there is an element to where, yeah, hockey's kind of a tough sport and, and you got to kind of hold your own. But I think what Wilson did really kind of crossed the line and, and deserved at least a couple game suspension. Like the fact that he got nothing and it was just a maximum fine, I think is pretty ridiculous. Oh, and yeah, uh, compared to, I don't know if you saw what happened with Shane Goss' bear last night with the cross check, um, the boarding call after uh, Friedman put an empty netter in last night. What, did you did you see what happened there? Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, so Shane Goss' bear after, after the play, after the puck is in the net, um, boarded somebody into... Um, the boards behind the net after the empty net goal happened and was suspended for two games in something that, while equally, um, maybe not equally as bad, but while bad, was not nearly as bad as what Tom Wilson did considering he um, lost control of himself, basically. He, he is a player um, that has paid millions of dollars to, you know, play how he does, but play it a safe and, and fair way. And I think you could say that with just about anybody. Anybody in the league who is being paid a significant amount of money is being paid for a specific job. Tom Wilson's obviously paid to be a physical hockey player, but he's not paid to be a goon, paid to some to, to potentially injure or harm somebody long term and the career potentially with, with how he acts. And the fact that the Department of Player Safety literally just sits there and lets things go 
all the time. We see this happen. This is this isn't like a new thing. Um, obviously, considering it's led by George Peros, who is one of the, um, the, the hockey's more uh, more recognizable um, enforcers of the last couple of years, I would say, yeah, is it just definitely. it it goes to show. It really goes to show just how how little the league really cares about um, just player safety in general. It's like I think, and somebody brought up a good point on Twitter the other day. The NFL has dealt with so many concussion and so many so many different lawsuits on player safety and player health, whereas the NHL literally does not give two shits about anything that happens to player safety, period. Like we've established time and time again, they do not care. And I, I think, if anything, you should have somebody that cares just for the liability's sake because it, it's going to wreck it. it it's going to hit hard one of these days. Yeah, I agree with that. And kind of as I was alluding to, you know, I think there is an element of hockey just as a sport that, you know, toughness is kind of just a part of, of what's kind of going on in the sport. And yeah, like, I don't think every single, you know, after the whistle skirmish, like that, there's an element to where people like that, you know, you as a casual, a casual fan who's, in, who's watching a hockey game, it's like, yeah, I want to see people hit each other and fight. And, and I agree with that. But again, I think that there was a line that was crossed with Tom Wilson. It seemed to me that there was an intent to injure, which is definitely too far. And at some point, I think the NHL is going to start to have to start cracking down and making more strict punishments uh, from the player safety department. So that was actually something that can kind of lead into our next event. The New York Rangers put out a statement the next day saying that they do not condone what was put out by the Department of Player Safety. They did not agree with the decision that Tom Wilson would only be fined and not suspended. And then as a result of that, the, you know, as I said, the Rangers put out that statement. And then we find out that today the Rangers fire their general manager, Jeff Gordon, and team president, John Davidson. So allegedly this is unrelated to the Tom Wilson situation, which is actually something that I buy. I think there's some validity to that because we're going to get into it here. But James Dolan, their owner, sometimes has the tendency to kind of go off the rails with some things. And he said that he wanted their rebuild to have come along a little bit sooner, which is not something that I personally agree with. But that was the decision that was made. So all of these events between Tom Wilson injuring Artemi Panarin for the season and Pavel Buchnevich as well, and then the Rangers saying they disagree that he was not suspended, and then they fire their team president and general manager. So a lot going on very recently with the Rangers. So Donnie, what was kind of your initial reaction when you saw that Jeff Gordon and John Davidson were going to be axed by the Rangers? Well, I mean, I think uh, like every other sports fan, every other hockey fan that has some sort of opinion as to what's going on here, uh, I think you can agree that it's first off, it's very short-sighted to say, oh, we hope this rebuild went faster, considering this is like the fastest rebuild I can remember a team having. Um, obviously, they've had some help with, with draft lottery and such, but still, you have to give them credit for making moves like, so picking up Mika Zibanejad at the end of their tenure um, in the playoffs the last couple of years, um, in 2017, 2016, somewhere around there, uh, adding Adam Fox through trade, uh, who is a, a Norris candidate. They gave up essentially nothing for him. Um, Picking Vitaly Kravtsov in the draft um, was not a any, anywhere near a guaranteed win, but uh, he looks like a very, very talented player. Um, so the Rangers have added, they've done things that have done, uh, they've, they've done way too much considering um, most teams when they rebuild, it takes like four or five or six years for them to get back to the state that the Rangers are at right now. Um, I would say in a normal year, the Rangers would probably be a wild card team this year pretty easily. Um, especially out east, where you know they'd be fighting with teams like Philly, for example, um, to to have a, a wild card spot. You know, Rangers are definitely better than Philly right now. Um, and again, you know, even with adding Artemi Panarin was not a guarantee, and probably would not have happened if John Davidson and Jeff Gordon were not there. I think you can definitely rationalize John Davidson's um relationship with Panarin as a, as a major reason why Panarin came over. Obviously, they were both together in Columbus. Um, 
And again, just the Rangers were not in a position to win this year regardless. Coming into the year, if you had any expectation for the Rangers to be a, a Stanley Cup contender, you were you were out of your mind. After last year where they started off pretty poorly, picked it up at the end of the year, uh, and made it in the playoff um, play-in tournament, ended up losing pretty soundly to Carolina. Uh, coming into this year, with a lot of question marks considering no Henrik Lundqvist uh, gone, uh, not even playing this year, has health issues, um, you know, really hoping for the best for Hank. Uh, on, on top of a, a mediocre at best defense and the youngest team, youngest roster in the league coming into the year this year. So if you're expecting, I don't think there's any league where the youngest roster in the league is going to be a contender to win the championship. I don't think that there's any league that that's, that's a possibility. Considering, especially in the NHL, where younger players generally do not start off their careers, do not play super good in the first couple of years. It's kind of just how it goes. There's a development, um, development curve in the NHL. And the fact that they, first off, if they're really dying on this hill that, you know, um, that the team is uh, in, in a position where, you know, they should be winning more or whatever, it, it's, it just goes to show, first off, Dolan and the rest of the, uh, the ownership are totally off the rocker. They're totally fucking insane. And pardon my French there, but you have to be out of your mind. To think, first of all, the Rangers are not doing a good job considering just about everybody that has an opinion on anything would say the Rangers organization is top five in terms of a, a youth movement here. Like They have done an absolutely fantastic job in building something special. And on top of that, it just, you, you I don't know, a team that competes this long in, in a shortened season, a COVID season where they have missed so many players, lost so many players, didn't have Panarin for 15 games, Truba's been hurt multiple times. Igor got hurt at one point, so we're we're at a point where had the Rangers stayed healthy and had their their top players all year, they may be in a playoff spot or very close to a playoff spot. Um, so the fact that they can rationalize and that's all I've seen in terms of the reasoning is the fact that oh they they weren't good enough fast enough. I just don't know what they're asking for. I don't know what they're looking for at this point. Yeah, I mean, I had pretty much the exact same reaction you did there, Donnie. I, I agree that, you know, they just needed to give it more time. I thought they were building something pretty good. They were getting a lot of skilled players. And sure, did they benefit from, you know, some high draft lottery picks? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that anyone would take that. But I think that they just needed to give it a little bit more time. I thought they were on the right track. So it, it really kind of surprised me and, and caught me a little bit off guard. So I can definitely echo what you're saying there. Yeah, just the, the thing is here, in my, my opinion, so it's like, let's say you're a Red Wings fan, for example. Are you happy with the, where the Red Wings rebuild has went? Because they haven't fired their coach. Blashill's been there for, what, six six or seven years now. He's been there for a while. Yeah. And they have been abysmal for a long time. They have, especially uh, the last two years, they have been um, amongst the worst teams in hockey, down there, very, very bad teams. If you're a Red Wings fan who, you, you were in the playoffs for two decades uh, without fail, having a, are you, are you saying, oh, they need to be faster with this rebuild? No. You're sitting there like, oh, we're going to trust the process considering we've done a good job building our talent. We have young pieces and we're going to continue to build young pieces. Even a team like the Blackhawks, for example, who have not, they're in, the, they're in a similar position to the Rangers are, you know, more middling than anything. I'd say a, a team that is not necessarily successful uh, at this point, but you know, it's not like we're saying, oh, they're, they're an awful hockey team. It's like the Blackhawks have not been a, a legitimate playoff team because, you know, last year's playoff, I'm going to say probably didn't count the whole play-in thing. Uh, was great and everything. They lost in the first round pretty easily. Um, but they haven't been in, in a full season playoff in what f- a four, three years now, three full seasons. Considering last year didn't count. So yeah. if you're a Blackhawks fan, are you saying, oh, they need to be good right now? Like, no, you had so much success and you 
while you didn't win a Stanley Cup with the Rangers and the Blackhawks won three, you know, there's there's definitely a difference of, you know, organizational health and all that um, history there. You still have to be sitting there at the Blackhawks like, you're not going to go make super rash movements. Obviously, Stan Bowman could have been fired and nobody was questioning that. But Stan Bowman hasn't done nearly as good of a job as Jeff Gordon has in the last couple of years. And, you know, obviously it seems to be like John Davidson would not have been fired if he agreed with with the move and everything. But he was very anti the whole uh, firing Jeff Gordon thing, which I think most Rangers fans should be. And again, um, I've said it on the podcast before and I'll say it again. I think we, when you get to a point where your ownership is making uh, rash decisions or they're, they're rushing things or they're overdoing it, it's a bad thing. Because generally I would say, and I think I think you'd probably agree on this. Owners don't know as much as the presidents or the the GMs of the team do in terms of the sport. I think that's just that's just a blanket statement you can say in just about any sport. So it's like I'm not necessarily trusting a team owner to to run a team um, more than I would trust a, a general manager or a president. Somebody that's been spending their entire life has devoted their entire life to hockey, like John Davidson and Jeff Gordon have. So the fact that you have an owner that's all on a power trip um, now that he has some he has nothing to do with the Knicks being half decent is it's like frightening almost because like what's next if he's mad about where they are now what happens in the offseason they're gonna have to make these rash moves and spend a ton of money and and make a ton of trades trade all their youth away to get you know good players to to get in the playoffs next year and and potentially i would say if they ended up trading a guy like caco or they traded lafreniere you could say oh that that could severely hamper them and maybe put them back in a spot where they are a middling playoff team at best and they're not gonna get any better yeah, I, I thought that was a good analysis. I'm glad you kind of compared the Rangers situation to the Blackhawks and Red Wings, obviously two other original six uh, franchises. So I thought that was definitely a fair, you know, comp for for kind of rebuilding teams that maybe have a similar organizational structure. So where do the Rangers go from here? They promote their assistant general manager, Chris Drury, to now be the president and general manager. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. There's also rumors and rumblings that they may try to get Mark Messier to be involved in their kind of management as well. So Donnie, I know that Chris Drury is someone that you are definitely a fan of but what's kind of your thoughts on what the rangers could kind of do from here to maybe kind of right the ship or, or continue down a path that we thought the people who were running the ship were doing a good job at where do you see things going from here well the, this i guess a, a small positive to take out of things is the fact that jury has been in the organization for for many years he was running hartford as their gm and he was the assistant gm of the nhl team so it's like he's going to have a similar path you would assume he's, he's going to keep them on a similar train here um the only my issue is just like I just don't understand where, I, so so basically I don't think Dolan really asked anybody. I don't think Dolan really really asked for opinions of of other respected hockey people in the league because I don't think there's any team that's gonna tell him oh they they are they're looking poor here they're looking tough and I've seen um, a couple of people say oh they haven't built the team right in the in the alleyway Mark Messier said they haven't built the team right um where, where they're you know they're they're not gritty enough they're not tough enough and. I just why are we not at why are we at a point where we're still arguing grit in the NHL? Why are we still arguing toughness in the NHL? It's like there's a reason Brendan Lemieux got traded because he's bad at hockey. I don't care how he can throw punches all he wants to, but he's not good at hockey. It's the same the last couple of years. It's like they've had the, these mediocre enforcers like Michael Haley, who shouldn't be in the league. He does not provide any positive um, hockey talent other than the fact that he can throw punches and, and is strong and. If that comes out to be true, that the whole grit thing, the team wasn't tough enough, it really that bothers me. Considering they, the all they've drafted are finesse young finesse players, like cause that's where the league is heading. Like if if you look at a team like, for example, the Lightning, 
who do the Lightning have that are out there beating, beating up everybody else? It's like, obviously, they have tough players, but... It, yeah, like Patrick Maroon would be like... And the Patrick Maroon is a good that. hockey he player. Yeah. He's like a, he's a decent right. he fourth liner. So the fact that they're mad about not having Tanner Glass on the team or a Tanner Glass replacement on the team is so stupid. It, it, that's the one thing that angers me more than anything, if it comes out to be true, the fact that they didn't have enough grit on the team is... I don't think you can rationalize any hockey team really needing grit. Obviously, there's guys like Tom Wilson who Tom Wilson is a good hockey player. If he stayed out of trouble, he'd be a, he'd be a fantastic hockey player. But you can't have you don't need to have a guy who is solely on the ice to combat Tom Wilson. Isn't that like just it seems like first off a waste of a roster spot. Second off, it seems like it seems like just a waste of time in general. Considering I don't think there's many enforcers in the league like guys that are really rough and tumble at this point that are actually like valuable. It's like Milan Lucic. Should he have a contract in the league? Maybe. Is he good? No. He's a pretty mediocre hockey player at this point. Ryan Reeves is the same thing. He's a good fourth liner because of his, his strength and his ability to, to beat up everybody. Not his ability to score goals or, or play good defense or anything like that. So, I don't know. We, we get to a point where grit is something that, you know... You can measure it, you cannot measure it, whatever you want to do. You, you can talk about grit all you want. But if they're really firing a guy because of team construction and the future of the team, you can add a guy who can do so, do some gritty things. It's not like, you know, th those players are very easy to find. It's, it's not like we're, we're going to struggle to find a guy that can go out there um, and and make, make a mess out of things. It's like, I don't know. It just comes to a point where, you know, if, if that's truly the answer that um, – that's the reasoning they're giving, and that's what Messier said, and you know that that's what it seems like a couple of the uh, NHL insiders have said. That's the reason they fired Gorton. Um, you know, a real question mark for me, and it's it's depressing to see. Um, this could be a a you know two or three years from now, this could be a huge step back in their their whole um, you know getting back to being a perennial contender where they were just a couple of years ago. Um, you know, definitely scary. We'll see how it goes. I don't want to talk about it any further because you know I've dragged on about it enough, but. You know, grit and hockey, not important. We need to get over this because it's just, it's, it's something that, um, the old, the older hockey heads are still, you know, preaching and you know, hammering in, even though we, it's not the seventies or eighties anymore. You don't need a guy like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. I agree with that for sure. Like we're sitting here, Donnie, like, doesn't it seem so obvious that you should be committing to skill instead of grit and, and physicality. Like it seems like it's so obvious to, to you and I sitting here that, yeah, maybe we should get people that can drive positive offensive play and demonstrate that they're skilled and can produce with other skilled line mates. And that way we can produce goals because that's actually what we need in order to win the game, not this physicality. And we need the, the grit and the toughness to stick up to this villain, Tom Wilson. It doesn't make any sense. So if that is actually the reason, I think that is just such a joke. I mean, I can't believe that 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 is still going on in the National Hockey League that teams are, are deciding to run that and fire good executives because of that. It, it just well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're both getting upset. So I'm not even a Rangers fan. The, the biggest <laughs> thing here is John Davidson is iconic for the Rangers. He played for the team and he spent time in the organization multiple times. He's he's been a a mainstay. If a guy like that disagrees with you. If you're if you're Dolan, you have to sit there and be like, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Because first off, Dolan should know himself as just just in general. Just be realistic here. The Knicks have been the biggest shit show in the entire four major major sports in North America by far over the last couple of years. I think you could say the Knicks have not been able to do anything, and that 
is primarily because of Dolan. Like even you can look back at just just shithousery, I would say. So it's like you, you remember a couple. What was it last year where Oakley like win the Garden and they got in the fight or whatever? It's like that is because Dolan's a, a hothead moron who just has a lot of money. Just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you can run a sports team. I think we've seen that time and time again. And we're at a point where if he's going to meddle in the Rangers, if he's going to put his opinions in on the Rangers, the Rangers were good because you kept your mouth shut and you didn't talk to anybody and you didn't butt in the team. They are a cost-controlled team. You're not spending $200 million on the Rangers. It's just not happening. You you literally spend 80-some million dollars a year on player salaries and then you, you pay coaches and, and front offs and all that. But it's a cost-controlled league in the NHL. So if you're looking for money, if this is money related, you need to you need to stop. You need to go home and really reassess yourself, especially because Artemi Panarin alone, them bringing in Panarin does not happen without this front office. So, you know, if you're happy about it, if you're not happy about it, so be it. Just, you know, it's ridiculous. We're at a point where it's just truly ridiculous. Yeah, this is honestly one of the most absurd sporting news things that I can even ever remember. It just conf- you, you combine everything that's going on with Tom Wilson and Artemi Panarin and then the Rangers putting out a statement saying that they disagree with it, which we agree with, and then firing your president and your general manager right after that. Just a crazy sequence of events. So uh, glad that Donnie was able to, to share a lot of his insight on that. And, and I agree with him. I, I, I totally feel his frustration and, and agree with uh, pretty much all the analysis there. So um, yeah, that, that, that sums up things there for the most part. We're going to get into some questions now from our listeners. As we do every single podcast, we answer questions from you guys at home, the listener. So that's a lot of fun. We're going to keep going with this kind of hockey theme back on kind of the Tom Wilson uh, train of things. And Donnie alluded to the Gostas Fair suspension as well. But this first question comes from Ian at Ian Carlson. 50 on Instagram and he says biggest embarrassment in the NHL is it Gary Bettman and player safety and I think yeah I think you nailed it right there Ian yeah the player safety is an embarrassment in the NHL the fact that Tom Wilson didn't get a single game suspended and Shane Gossifair got two in the same day, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense uh, to me. So, yeah, I, I think you nailed it. I don't think that there's a much more of a bigger embarrassment in the NHL than, than what player safety has been putting out in the last, uh, I mean, in the last day, but uh, really in the last couple of years. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's time and time again we've seen Department of Player Safety. They, are, they take so much slack because they don't do a good job. And again, as I said before, I would say more than anything, the Department of Player Safety in every sport should be a liability thing more than anything. You should have somebody that is there to... Um, maybe break down the laws or, or know how the rules work or be able to break down the rules more effectively than somebody that's actually has some emotion. So it's like George Paris wants to have the hockey players, you know, wants, wants toughness to be in hockey. He wants to, wants people to fight. He wants people to be uh, angry because that's what he did. And we're at a point where the Department of Player Safety, they really love protecting these players who are absolute scumbags and they do it so often. It happens so frequently to the point where, you know, it's like, I don't know. Let's just stop giving passes to players. If they really cared, they would hire a lawyer or hire somebody that has some sort of, you know, hockey uh, knowledge that has has a law degree or has some sort of knowledge to where they can protect themselves from liability. Considering we're going to get to a point where the NHL gets sued, similar to how the NFL has with concussions and, and, and a lack of, you know, just just caring at all. The NFL really didn't care about concussions, and we still to this day, you know, they they really put it to the side. They don't really care. Imagine the NHL when when they get a a large lawsuit together. What's going to happen there? Because it's like there's no way the NHL wins a lawsuit on concussions when they allow stuff like this to happen all the time. You're getting players body slammed to the ice and having cross checks to their neck while they're on the ice, and you don't suspend anybody. Five grand is literally chump change. It's like somebody asked me for three dollars. Yeah, you're finding me three dollars. Find me three dollars. I don't care. You think Tom Wilson cares about that five grand? He pisses on that five grand. Like, come on. 
And five grand is the maximum amount. Yeah, that give me a break. Fine. Give, like what? How does that make whereas sense? a couple years ago, when um, Sharks GM Doug Wilson, I, I believe, said uh, where there was a Rafi Torres incident, and Rafi Torres got suspended, and he said, "Oh, it was a clean hit." He got suspended a hundred grand. He got suspended for for making a comment saying, "I thought that hit was fair." And he got suspended 100 grand for that. Whereas the players actually doing the hits on the ice get suspended. They get a five grand fines. Like, come on, man! It's five grand means nothing to, to millionaires. Let's just let's just keep it at that. You know, obviously Tom Wilson, you know, he, he can't have uh, he can't go get get sushi tonight. Like, whatever, cry. Yeah, not a good look by any means. And yeah, very fair to say that that's the biggest embarrassment in the NHL right now. So uh, yeah, good question there from Ian. We're definitely upset about it too. We think that the NHL has got to take a look at that and, and get some things figured out. So um, yeah, that kind of sums things up there. So appreciate that again from Ian. Move on now back to some kind of other sports related things. We'll get into more some football uh, related conversation here in a little bit. But this next question comes from my friend Trey. And he says, just kind of a general conversation here. Do you have any kind of specific gambling strategy? So Trey and I actually talk a good amount about this. You know, what's, you know, obviously we want to make money gambling on games. Like what, what's a good way that you can kind of go about? You've been effective making some money. Donnie, I'll turn it over to you first. Um, so baseball, I, I've made a decent amount of money so far. On betting baseball, and I would say pitcher matchups are everything. You know, you can definitely figure that out. Uh, there is a there's a line on any major sports book that's first team to score. And you know, whenever Garrett Cole is pitching for the Yankees, whenever Shane Bieber is pitching for Cleveland, they're going to be the first team to score the majority of the time. Whereas the odds will not necessarily say that because you know they can't imply. You know, um, Garrett Cole is going to give up home runs every once in a while. Shane Bieber is going to give up home runs every once in a while. Uh, when Jacob DeGrom's on the mound, you can say the Mets are going to score first, even though it probably doesn't happen because the Mets are awful. Um, but so I, I've been doing that recently. I think it's just more, first off, you know, never bet on a team that you support. I think that's that's the best strategy of anything is never bet on a team that you support because there is always a, a bias. Whether you agree upon it or not, there's always going to be a bias in the back of your head. There's always going to be something there that's like, you know, keeps you a little bit, um, a little bit iffy on these things. Uh, second off, Whenever there's a game in Colorado, RK knows all about this. Just just bet the over. Yes. Bet the over on Rockies games. I don't care. Colorado Rockies games. Literally, yep, bet the over. last night, the, the under over in a seven-inning game with Herman Marquez on the mound was nine and a, or eight and a half. Eight and a half last night. You want to know? The Giants had ten runs in the first half of the inning. So <laughs> you would have made, you would have won your bet in the first, in the top half of that inning based off of just, just a team batting around. It, they had like 16 guys come up. Which is which is just disgusting, by the way. You know, real obviously, you know, you gotta feel for Rockies pitchers. But you know, if you're gonna bet, bet smart. Don't don't do anything stupid. Don't bet on your own team and bet the over in Colorado whenever anything happens. That I just that's all I gotta say. Yeah, good strategies there. Uh, very logical as well. I would say even kind of on your point of don't bet on your favorite team. How about bet against your favorite team? That's because then you're either making money or happy because your favorite team just won. That's kind of very a nice fair. Very I've, fair. I've gone with that before. Uh, other things on gambling strategies that I've heard are effective. Live betting. I've had some more success with live betting than I have before the game starts. Uh, you know, a lot of times you can wait, see how the game kind of plays out in the first half. I think I've had the most success with live betting actually when it comes to basketball, whether that be either college basketball or NBA. If there's like a team that is so clearly better in basketball, like I think about like the prime warriors or like a one seed in March Madness that is like, you know, that they're going to win the game like Gonzaga this past year. I think for a lot of it, you can kind of, you know, wait, see, you know, maybe it's a 
a close game in the first half, you know, that spread starts to creep down a little bit. Maybe that money line starts to creep down, you know, a little bit better odds. Then you hit it with the live bet. So I think that that's actually where I've seen a little bit of success uh, in gambling when it comes to live betting on games that maybe start a little bit closer than you thought. And then maybe you can capitalize on that from there. One other last gambling strategy that I've heard, I actually listened to this in a podcast, I think uh, a couple months ago, but they actually said that a smart strategy is just betting underdogs in the NHL. Because hockey is such a random sport that, you know, even, you know, the worst team in the NHL, the, the Detroit Red Wings, for example, you know, they're trash. But even once in a while, you know, they'll get some wins. So if you hit that money line where it's plus odds, maybe it's plus 200, maybe it's 150, something like that. You bet on underdogs in hockey, you know, a lot of times those are going to end up cashing uh, out in your favor or even taking it with the spread as well. You know, you get plus a goal and a half uh, in a game for an underdog. I think that um, is kind of a, a nice strategy there, just given the fact that hockey is such a random sport and, um, you know, the top teams are still able to beat especially when you compare it to a sport like football for example where you know you pretty much know who's gonna win if Alabama's playing a football game against someone else in the SEC you know they got a pretty good chance of winning but hockey not always the case so um yeah those are those are kind of my two points there for gambling strategies yeah I think that's fair um live betting is interesting because you can kind of see momentum does exist whether or not you you agree or or you know and you can definitely see momentum especially in basketball um you can definitely see momentum shifts and you know the lines do not necessarily um adjust based on momentum they adjust based on scores there's an algorithm there so theoretically um if you see a team go on a little bit of a run and you see them pick up playing strong defense or you know like in march madness for example you can see teams locked down defensively you can see how a team is going to play based on the first couple minutes of the game because they can come out strong and play a high energy defensive game and then you can sit there and be like oh you know you can live bet the under of the game or live bet that team um Definitely a fair way to go about it. Obviously, you know, you're going to get burned if you bet underdogs every once in a while, especially in the NHL, where you know, it's like don't bet against like the, the top, top teams and don't bet on the worst teams in the league. However, you can find underdogs that are still going to have good odds. So it's like if you ever have two teams that are like middle of the pack teams, one of them is going to have a little bit better odds than the other, and you can definitely cash out on that, especially because NHL odds, I feel like they're so close to each other most of the time, and especially money line odds, they're so close to each other. Yeah, I agree. So cool conversation there. Trey and I have had a good amount of conversations on gambling strategies. So uh, a lot of fun conversation there. Trey's got one more question for us. And he says, which team had the best and which team had the worst single draft of all time? So I'm pretty sure we're going football here. So I looked it up. I was like, man, who had, who had the best draft in the history of the draft? And you know what I found? The 1974 Pittsburgh Steelers drafted four Hall of Famers in one draft. I was like, what? That is absurd. You draft four Hall of Famers in one draft? Like the Eagles and Giants, Donnie, we were talking about their draft. We liked like two of their picks. Like they yeah, they had two picks. The Steelers took four Hall of Famers. That's insane. They got Lynn Swan, Jack Lambert, John Stallworth, and Mike Webster in that draft. So that was absolutely insane. And then I'll go again uh, for the worst draft of all time. I'm going with the 1999 New Orleans Saints because you know what the Saints did? They traded their entire draft. They traded the, their 12th overall pick their next year first overall pick in 2000, which ended up being second overall, and a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, and a next year third, just to move up to pick five, and they took Ricky Williams, who was only there for three years before he was traded again to Miami. So maybe not the best situation in the world for you, Mike Dicka, right there. That's always kind of a funny thing that I always remember people hearing. Remember when the Saints traded their entire draft for Ricky Williams and their next year first, which was second overall? That was a pretty big disaster right there. So there you go. There's my analysis. Best and worst draft of all time. 1974 Steelers, four Hall of Famers, pretty good. 1999 New Orleans Saints, you only got Ricky Williams and you traded him away within three years. So maybe not the best situation there. That's actually crazy. I didn't know. I mean, I'll definitely, I'll definitely agree with you on those. Um, I did four Hall of Famers in yeah. one draft. Yeah. That is actually like batshit 
fucking crazy how like, how, like uh, for, imagine, first off there, there's, there's taking, a degree of luck yeah no for sure for sure I'm, but, but, but even, even this donnie imagine but, taking lynn swan and jack lambert your first two picks your your first and second round picks you got two hall of famers you're happy you're like wow i just got two hall of famers and then in the fourth and fifth round you get two more hall of famers like what is that that's insane I mean, it goes to show that's why those teams. I mean, like, let's let's just be realistic here. You know, the draft is basically why some teams are great and some teams are bad. And you know, no doubt. that's definitely that's definitely why those teams were so good over the that the decade plus. Uh, you know, that they were in uh, you know, the team. So it definitely makes sense. I mean, you see time and time again. I don't know. There, there's always like weird drafts that you can look back at. Like I think looking back at drafts, and we've done this before. We look back at drafts randomly, and we always you know, see uh, there's definitely some. Uh, some tough picks year after year. It's like you can look at it all you want. There's a lot of busts, you know, people make mistakes and everything. But in reality, it's like, I don't know. You have to be so good at developing players and just like knowing strengths and being able to see talent that you can draft one Hall of Famer or at least like even even one like all-star, one like pro bowler, yeah. let alone four. That that's That's actually crazy. Yeah, so shout out to the Steelers in the 1970s. Way to way to get the job done. Good, shout out to your scouting department in in 1974. They did a great job. So there you go. Awesome questions from Trey there. Really appreciate that. Uh, Trey always be asking us questions. So fun conversation there. So really appreciate it again from Trey. All right, we'll move on. Actually, got a couple questions from my dad this week. So shout out to him. He so uh, again wants us to talk about the NFL draft, kind of in a, in a broad scheme of things here. And he says. What is your most memorable, intense, or suspenseful moments from the NFL draft in the history of the draft? My dad brought up the 2007 Brady Quinn saga where a quarterback falling. I think that's a good example of something that's kind of suspenseful. You're like, oh, where's this quarterback going to fall? Ends up going to the Browns, so not the best. Similar situation with Aaron Rodgers when he could have gone early in the draft before Alex Smith ends up falling big time to the Packers. So thought those two were kind of similar. But actually, I'm going to go with when Tack McKinley was drafted by the Atlanta Falcons a couple of years ago. And he went on stage and he brought like this portrait of his grandma. And he was just incredibly emotional. <laughs> I was just like, he was, he was like screaming at Deion Sanders. Like he was going insane. That. So that was probably the most intense moment I can remember from the NFL draft. So I'm giving a shout out to Tech McKinley there. Donnie, how about you? Any, any kind of memorable, intense or suspenseful moments that you witnessed in the NFL draft? Okay. So, so this is, this is me specific, but a couple of years ago, the Saquon Barkley draft, Nobody really had any idea what the Giants were gonna do. This this is just this is me specifically. This is how I felt specifically. I was sitting there, and there was definitely there were definitely avenues they could have went. Like like I think even up to the draft, you know, it's like obviously people were hoping for a certain thing. A lot of people were not uh, did not want Saquon Barkley to be drafted, and I think maybe maybe less suspense and more anxiety. Like it's just. First off, you know, you really never know, uh, especially with the Giants. You know, they could have definitely went off the board and picked somebody stupid. Like, if they ended up with um, with Josh Rosen at number two, I'd have been like, ah, you know, this this is a Giants pick in, in, in my eyes, you know. Um, but, yeah, th- I think that gave me more anxiety than just about anything that's ever happened in sports because, first off, you know, the GM had no idea what he was doing, and he still has no idea what he's doing, and that's fine. Uh, second off, we needed a quarterback, you know, needed a running back. I need a lot of things. Sam Darnold was there. And then rumors before the draft were that they were going to, they could have potentially traded down out of that pick or they really liked Josh Rosen. Um, time and time again, I saw that before the draft and that would have made me, you know, I, we obviously weren't doing the pod back then, but RK can attest. I, the only player that I've re- truly hated in, in, in the NFL draft history is Josh Rosen. That's, that's the only player I have really Well, really okay, disliked. Donnie, I got to interject. Lamar Jackson, you are not a Lamar Jackson fan. Oh, Lamar, Lamar Jackson too, but that's for a different reason. I just don't think he can throw the ball. And I'm, I still, I still, I'll, I'll still hold There's that. There's validity to that. I will give I'll, that. Still, I'll still hold that belief now. I just don't think he can throw the ball. But 
I truly, there, there was nothing positive that I ever saw out of Josh Rosen that made me think, this guy is the number two pick. This guy is the Giants' future. And, you know, a lot of my takes have been really bad over time. I've had some, I've had some really rough takes over time. But the Josh Rosen one is one that I, will, I would say, that, that's one of my finer moments in the history of, of NFL draft uh, takes. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just happy, happy to say, you know, they took Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley, good man. The anxiety that I had in that draft coming up, the weeks leading up to that draft, was so intense to the point where I was, like, always nervous every little thing that came out. Because especially because, again, we talk about smoke screens all the time. There was so much crap that came out before that draft. There were so many rumors and so much just bullshit that came out before that draft that made me genuinely nervous and, like, panicky over the draft because the Giants were in a weird spot at the time. Obviously, I thought they were going to be good, you know. It hasn't been good for a while. But, yeah, that, that is the one... I, I was put in suspense for weeks by the Giants, you know, I don't know, inept ability to do anything right. Yeah, very, very good. Uh, good choice there. Shout out to you on, on your Josh Rosen evaluation. I actually like Josh Rosen coming out. So that's plus one Donnie on that. So, so shout out to you. We got one more question from my dad for this podcast. And he says, now, what is your most memorable or intense suspenseful moment from a game that you either watched on TV and attended in person? So I'll share my two first here. So definitely the most intense game that I can remember watching on TV, but have to be Cubs Indians game seven. I was watching this game with my parents. So definitely was intense in that. My, my parents also big Cubs fans. So that was an intense game. That was just a crazy game in general. That, that Cubs Indians game seven. That was uh, one of the most absurd sporting events I can ever remember watching, especially when you consider that it broke a hundred year, hundred and eight year drought of championships for the Chicago Cubs. So that was insane. Got to go with that for watching on TV. And then for a game I attended in person, another game I went to with my dad. So fitting here, but this was actually Blackhawks and Anaheim Ducks in 2015 Western Conference Final game four. So maybe more of like a random choice, but it was a game I was at. It was a double overtime game that the Blackhawks played. They were down 2-1 in the series. So if they had lost that game, obviously you go down 3-1. Probably not coming back down 3-1. Ended up being a great series. Blackhawks ended up winning that game in double overtime with Antoine Vermette and the series overall in game seven in Anaheim going on to win the Stanley Cup. So that was an insane game. I remember I had like a Stanley Cup playoff towel that they give out, you know, the, the rally towels. And I had that thing just bunched up in like the smallest ball. I was just holding on to it for that double overtime playoff hockey. That was insane. So definitely easy choices for me on that one. Donnie, how about you? Memorable, intense, suspenseful moments from a game that you watched on TV and also attended in person. Okay, so on TV, I'd say um, Dodgers-Braves game seven last playoff. Um, obviously, the Dodgers were losing 3-2 late in the game. Um, I think the sixth inning came around and Kike Hernandez hit a home run. And then Cody Bellinger hit another home run. Um, so I, in the middle of that game, I, I was very pessimistic, I would say. Um, you know, Austin Riley came in and was, was like hammering the ball around. The Dodgers were losing. And at that point, a lot of people were very nervous because the Dodgers bullpen was not super, super good. You know, very inconsistent. Um, but yeah, it just, you know, baseball's very slow and methodical and it allows you to overthink yourself into a point where you're just like, yeah, this is over. Yeah. This game is over. Yeah. There's no chance. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. You know, you know what I'm talking about, obviously. So baseball in general, they, there's so much time and so much goes by in every little pitch, you know, the probability in your head goes up or goes down based on what, whether your team's going to win. Um, and, and you know, I, time and time again, I, I've the Dodgers have let me down many, many, many years. So I, I was thinking of myself back into the Red Sox series. I was thinking of myself back into the Astros series, and I was thinking, yeah, this is, this is bad. You know, they just they completed a great comeback to you know even get it to Game Seven. Obviously, they were down three one, um, but yeah, that, that was that was great. 
And for, for a game that I saw in person, you know, I've never been into anything super, super important, but I would say um, I walk into the arena for Rangers-Penguins Game 5 in 2014. The Rangers were down 3-1. Um, I, we got tickets, um, we were sitting in a, we, we won box tickets, we were sitting in a box with a bunch of Penguins fans, and the arena was rocking, Penguins fans, uh, going to high school in Pittsburgh, I had a lot of Penguins fans tell me, oh yeah, the series is over, um, I, I'll always go back to, I have a friend, a friend tweeted, uh, anybody want to go watch the game outdoors, um, watch the conference finals outdoors, because I used to, like, screen games outdoors outside the arena when they had games going on in the playoffs, so it's like, Penguins fans had already put the Rangers away. And I was going to a game five where I could have seen the Rangers uh, collapse, fall apart, lose the series, uh, playoff run over, would have been very depressing. Um, walking in was the most, I don't know, just, again, anxiety, you know, nervousness. Because uh, when, when your team is down 3-1 in a series, the chance of you coming back is so minimal. Winning three straight in the playoffs is very, very difficult. And, yeah, I, I would definitely say that is... Um, just walking in the arena, there was a sense of, you know, the series is over. Penguins fans are fired up, and, and the Rangers fans that are in there are quiet and, you know, not really super pumped up. Um, so I, I would definitely say those. I haven't had the opportunity to actually go to, like, like a, a Super Bowl game or, or a World Series game. Um, you know, definitely unfortunate. I would have liked to go to the World Series last year with COVID and all that. And, and you know, expensive. Expensive. Um, but, yeah, um, it... it a close second to one watching on TV, though, would have been, you know, you remember the Dodgers-Rays World Series last year where they made, like, six errors in the ninth inning to lose? Um, that, that that right there, I was, you know, just more than anything, it just, it hits you. Because, like, you make you make one mistake, it's fine, like, you can bounce back, and then you make another mistake, and then there's another mistake, and then somebody can't throw a ball, and then there's a, a bloop in the outfield, and you're just sitting there like, man, like, like it, the compounding effect of baseball when something hits you, and then they hit you again, they hit you harder, it just, you know... The, the the always the worst comes out in my brain. I, I never think the positive. I always think the negative. And maybe that's not a, a good place to be. But, you know, when, when your team's consistently let you down, as the Dodgers had for the last 20-some years, you know, you got to sit there and be like, ah, you know, it's just another year. Yeah, hey, it hadn't been since 1988, but hey, you, you ended up pulling through there. I'm glad that you mentioned just also like, you know, like, I guess broad picture of things, just like a random Stanley Cup playoff game for a game you intended. Like, those games are insane. It doesn't matter what game you're going to in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like, those games are so intense, so insane. Like, you got to go to a Stanley Cup playoff game if you have never been to one. Those are just the absolute best. And, and the worst part about that is the Rangers had scored two goals in three games. And it's like they had been shut out twice already in that series through four games, and I was like, "Yeah, there, there's, there's just, there's nothing there. Like, I got nothing. I'm just, I'm going to the game because we have free tickets. Like, this is, this is why I'm here." And then the Rangers proceeded to score five. They scored really early in that game, and I'll say this: if you ever get the chance to go to to a playoff game in your uh, rivals' arena, if they win, just the silence. It's so satisfying. It's such a little like it's you feel like you're on top of the world when. You know, the Rangers won for that game 5-1, I think. And so when the Rangers were up three, two or three goals, the arena was quiet, like emptying out, watching people walk out of a playoff game depressed and sad and lonely and, and feeling it is, there's not much of a better feeling. Obviously, it's a, it's a very like narcissistic, pessimistic thing to say, but like, man, Penguins fans are annoying as hell. So it's like, I can't really be mad about that. But, you know, <laughs> watching your opponents, um, your rivals fans, like, unhappy or sad after you've taken so much crap from them the last couple of days it really it feels different it hits different 
yeah, going to road games is a ton of fun. Definitely going to agree with that. So, yeah, awesome questions from my dad on that. Fun conversations into some of the events that have made an impact on our lives. So uh, shout out to my dad for those questions. Appreciate it. All right, we will continue on. Of course, our friend Josh at I Hate Lettuce 2 on Twitter always asked us a bunch of questions. So we got a couple from him. We'll start with a football thought. He says, should Devontae Smith go number one in our fantasy football dynasty rookie draft? So obviously Josh also very excited about the Devontae Smith pick to the Eagles. But actually, I'm going to say no on this. I think Najee Harris to Pittsburgh is an absolute match made in heaven. I think my best comparison for Najee Harris was Le'Veon Bell just because of his ability to be so versatile as a receiver, as someone that can win with speed, as someone can, that can win with his power, his elusiveness. I think that was an absolute great pick. I think Najee Harris should definitely be the top pick in a lot of those dynasty rookie drafts. And especially you have that running back positional value in fantasy football as well. So that's where I'm going. But yeah, I like the Devontae Smith pick as well, for sure. Well, are we talking a dynasty rookie draft like quarterbacks too? Yeah, all, all the rookies. Lawrence uh, to- will be in there, for sure. Possibly Trevor Lawrence, you know. I'm just, I'm just yeah, thinking, fair. you know, very, very high quality uh, although you know jaguars scary um definitely definitely yeah. scary but you know I'll, I'll, I'll put all my eggs into that basket um especially because you know you, you can get you can get his uh his counterpart at the end you know later you know you can figure that out yeah you know you'll be fine yeah a couple of options there i like Devontae smith i like him a little bit more than jalen waddle um and jamar chase even just because those teams have a little bit more jalen waddle be good too but that's Where do you I'm value thinking. Kyle like Pitts? Harris. Where do you put Kyle Pitts in that? That's a, that, Wow, g- good question there. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, there's still obviously the Julio Jones trade rumors that are kind of floating around. Which I is don't crazy to me. That's yeah, nuts to me. I don't, I don't see me. that ends up happening. Totally I mean, Pitts topic. is going to be really good. But like, yeah, holy you, you got, hell. Uh, the tight end, yeah, tight end positional value, you know, we only really have probably like three or four tight ends that are really like that great. You got like Kittle and Kelsey that are always consistently towards the top, but Pitts could easily be that guy. So um, that's a good shout as well uh, from you, Donnie. So uh, no Penny Sewell though. We're not, we're not in the <laughs> offensive tackle uh, yeah. fantasy, but uh, not yet. So good question from Josh. He's got now a hockey question. Said who should the Blue Jackets take with the number one overall pick in the NHL draft, or should they trade it in a package for Jack Eichel? So, I mean, timeout. If there was an option where the Blue Jackets can acquire Jack Eichel, do that. That's what I'm saying, first of all, and foremost. But, but I think the pretty consistently, you know, number one overall pick, you know, the 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 word on the street is it's gonna be Owen Power from the University of Michigan, big defenseman there. So that's certainly what it seems like. That would probably be the uh, the go-ahead pick with number one. But yeah, there's not an option right now where you can get Jack Eichel, but if you can, definitely do that. <laughs> yeah, um, I would definitely say that. Um, leave Columbus as a dark horse to get John Davidson and Jeff Gordon um, out of the, uh, from the Rangers organization. Obviously, you know, we talked about this a little earlier. You know, more than anything, you know, you're going to end up with like the eighth pick this year, you know. Congrats on that one. You know, you're going to take a forward or something that, you know, helps your prospect pool. That's very, very bad. But yeah, that's my, my dark horse pick here. And I want to have it on record is that Columbus is going to find a way. They're going to fire Yarmo Kekalainen and they're going to bring in Davidson and Gordon and they're going to have this rebuild done right. So th- that's my take okay. for you, Josh, you know, be happy. Old cons from Donnie there. Now that he sees the men who are leading his organization leave. So we'll find out where they end up going, but uh, good question there. Josh got another one. He says, why does the NHL not see what the NFL did to Vontez perfect and get that man out of here? Obviously you're talking about Tom Wilson. So really just kind of tying in our conversation, but yeah, suspend Tom Wilson. Stop. Let's, uh, let's, let's, you know, put an end to Tom Wilson injuring star players. That's, that's not good. <laughs> Again, it's just, it's a liability thing. Like the NFL did it solely because it's a liability thing. They're going to, they got sued a lot of money and they're going to get sued a lot more money as time goes on. And you have to think the NHL's in the same boat. So let's just be realistic here. You know, you're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. Very fair. All right. 
that sums up Josh's sports questions. We've got some more Josh-related questions. If you listened to this podcast before, you know what I'm kind of referring to. So here we go. Josh's next one. He says, would you rather fight 30 geese or a small cougar? But the caveat here is you get to use a baseball bat as a weapon. So that's good. I'm not empty-handed against either 30 geese or a small cougar. I mean... I don't know. I, I like a small cougar. Like, I feel like, you know, like, I, again, he says I have to fight it. So I'm not like saying that I'm going to, you know, beat up this like small cougar with a baseball bat. But like at the same time, like 30 geese, like, I don't know, that seems like too many, too much geese. Like if it was, if we could negotiate that down to like, like 15, like cut it in half, maybe, but I think 30 geese is a little bit too much. So I think I'm going to take my chance with a small cougar. But again, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is a good situation either way. I want, I want door number three. That's what I'm picking. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I thought I had an answer to this, and then you know, now now that I'm thinking about it, just I'm picturing a lot of geese around me. It's just like I just don't want to deal with a lot of geese, but I don't want to deal with a. Yeah. I de- I'd rather not deal with a cougar either. I'd probably go with the geese solely because I don't think the geese are all gonna attack you at the same time. Like if you beat the shit out of one of the geese, are the other geese gonna come flying over and like defending his legacy? Right. Or are they? That's what I was. Are thinking, they gonna yeah. play? If that's his boy, are they gonna be if defensive? That's his brother yeah. Geese. See, but like, are all yeah. thirty of those geese like related? Or are they all? Are they all? Uh, you know, you just got to think some of the geese are going to be, they'll be defensive a little bit. They might run away. So I may end up fighting like 20, 25 geese, which, which sounds like a little bit better than 30 geese, obviously. And, you know, um, the baseball bat, it, it if I'm just in, in an open park or whatever, I'm probably getting, I'm probably getting my ass kicked regardless. It doesn't really matter. So, you know, I'll take the geese solely because I don't think the geese have like the, the same capabilities that a cougar. I, I think I could get the cougar would probably kill me. I think the, the geese maybe wouldn't kill me. I don't know. Yeah, again, not a not a situation I could have envisioned without Josh asking us. So, I mean, just uh, another just really intelligent question that uh, you know, when I would get to consider what what we would do in a in a situation where we have a baseball bat but we need to either fight 30 geese or a small cougar. Like, so Yeah, great know, stuff. Let us know. What do you guys think? Not a not a not a great option in in my opinion either way on that. But uh, that that's Josh for you. So, Josh has two more questions. So, Josh actually was visiting me here in Iowa over the weekend. We were watching the NFL draft together. Josh is a big Eagles fan, so we were excited about Devontae Smith as I mentioned. So there was one day where Josh and I, we were leaving one of my friend's houses after we were hanging out and we're just walking back to my apartment, probably like a, you know, five, 10 minute walk, something like that. And behind us, we hear like some like commotion there. We're like, what, what's going on? It's like, you know, it's probably like 1am, 2am, something like that. It's like pretty, pretty early in the morning. And there's this, this car that's driving by and like outside of their window, they're just like holding someone's garbage can. So we hear like the skidding of like this like garbage can just like going along the road as like they're driving their car holding this garbage can. So we're like, okay, that's weird. And then probably like, you know, 30 seconds later, we see some dude like sprinting after it. So like they just like stole this dude's garbage can and like pissed him off. We're like, what is going on? Like, again, this is at the end of a night where we were just hanging out with some friends. We're just walking back. And then all of a sudden there's like this issue going on where these people in a car are like carrying some dude's garbage can. And he's like sprinting after him. So he said, where do you think this guy's garbage can went? So this was just an absurd situation. We, were, we literally looked at each other and we're like, what? Like, what What did we just witness? Like, what, what ended up just happening in, in front of us? You know, like, we we were just so stunned so i don't know what happened in that guy's garbage can but i'll probably stick with the guy who was driving the car i don't think you got much luck in chasing after a moving car while they're carrying your garbage can so i don't know where that garbage can ended up but yeah that was just an absurd situation that i never could have envisioned myself seeing and i'm glad that josh was there to witness it with me because if i explained it and no one else said that was going on they would be like that definitely did not happen so josh can verify me and so i'm glad he, he was able to bring it up here so if somebody stole my garbage can i'm not chasing them 
that you can you can have it. Like it's, I know there had to be more going on. Like this guy was full on sprinting after this car that took his garbage. Yeah, what yeah. was in the can? I'm just like, what, what did you have in there? I'm just thinking if somebody takes my garbage can, especially if it's just garbage in the can or it's just you know it's just the can itself, you can have it. Like it's fine. Like I'm really just, I I don't I don't envision myself like putting a four two forty on to go get a garbage can. It's like it's not that deep. Like I don't care that much. Like it's not that serious to me. Yeah. Very absurd situation. And then Josh has one more question, again, tying in his visit. So here's what happened. Josh was staying at my apartment and I live by myself. I, I, I'm in a single bedroom apartment. I live, you know, alone. So, you know, when I have visitors, it's like, oh, great. I got a, I got a friend to hang out with. So Josh was hanging out here for, for a couple of nights. And, you know, next, like one of, one of the nights we were here, I go in to take a shower and all of a sudden all my shampoo was just gone. I was like, I was like, well, okay, here's the thing. Let me do some analysis here. I'm the only person who lives here. And there's one person visiting me. Who is at fault for getting rid of all of my shampoo? Like, obviously it's Josh. Like, what do you, what the hell? I was like, I need to wash my hair. Like, he was like, he was like, yeah, I, I like squirted it all out and it all came out. I was like, what the, what the hell? Like, so he said, do you want me to Venmo you for some shampoo? So, I mean, you know what, you know what I want to have happen? I want, if you are in a situation where you're visiting one of your friends and you mess up all of their shampoo, like for whatever reason, it's just all gone and you use it all up or it squirts out of the bottle and you weren't expecting it, just like, just like, let them know, hey man, I messed <laughs> up, I, you know, I, I took out your shampoo. Don't let me find out when I go in to try to wash my hair and there's no shampoo left. That's what happened. I was like, Josh, like, help me out a little bit. Like, it's okay. You know, I can, I can forgive you if you use up all of my shampoo. You know, hey, things happen. How full was this bottle? Just like, you know, just like, let me know. It was, it was like half oh. full. Like I was like stunned. I was like, there's okay, no so, way. Okay, so Josh had to so. have sat in, in the shower or whatever and just like, just, just done it on purpose. Like that, that's how it had to go. He, he I don't know. He said, he said he like turned it upside down and then it just like all came that's out. That's not how that like, works. Maybe. It's shampoo. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm skeptical. I'm still the skeptical. The thing is with shampoo. And I wasn't going to bring it up, but Josh you, brought you, it up. You have so, to like I mean, actually have... put some effort in to get the shampoo out of the bottle. It doesn't just randomly like roll out of the bottle for the most part. I know. So... I'm thinking it Josh like pranked you and then did on purpose. I was like, oh, I feel bad about this one because he went in the shower and you know couldn't. Well, that, that was my Josh impression, by the way. That's, that's the country accent I pull off yeah, for everybody. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, it's great. It was um, a good one. He, he did on. it on purpose. I don't appreciate that. Josh, send him $5 right now. I mean, I, here's the thing. If you send me a Venmo request, you know, I'll take it. Send him $5. I already bought new shampoos, so... So Donnie, Donnie's saying it. I would, I would, again, I would send but, him you know, just like, you know, $5. In the future, if you use someone else's shampoo, just like say, Hey, you know, I used it all up your shampoo. Just like, just like, let me know. That's don't let me find out in the shower. That's it. That's all I, I agree. Have. So I agree. Yeah. So there, there you go. Now, Josh asked a lot of questions. We started with some sports. We found out about some garbage can shit. And then you found out he used all my shampoo. So really just, you know, classic Josh questions. Couldn't ask for anything more. Roadie on the Horn podcast. You know, that's Josh, you know, loyal listener. So definitely appreciate it. So a lot of things that we just analyzed there. We've got two more question askers for this podcast. The next one comes from my friend Hunter at The Primal Human on Instagram. Funny question. He says, best vegan athlete. So I think the first thing that came to mind with me was like, well, I know Cam Newton's vegan, but is he really the best vegan athlete? So I looked it up. I looked up, like, who are the best vegan athletes out there? I found out Kyrie Irving, Alex Morgan, and Lewis Hamilton. There you go. So I'm, I'm giving you three elite athletes at their individual sports that are also vegan. So there you go, Hunter. Hopefully that satisfies your, your vegan athlete interest right there. Did you know Venus Williams is vegan? I knew that. I did actually see Venus on the, uh, yeah, on the she, list, too. That's, she that's a good she is a, she's well. a new vegan, I believe. I saw it. There was actually an ESPN story or something on, on her, and, you know, she's obviously one of the GOATs, so... I'll go with Venus Williams. You know, shouts to Venus, um, re re representing Luke so well. Yep, there you go. Our friend Luke, noted noted mm -hmm. vegan. Also, our Rocket League name, Donnie. Vegans aren't yep, people. It's true. So people Very true. 
So there you go. All right, we've got one more question left in this podcast. Of course, it's for my sister Kira. And it's a simple question. I'm going to send it to Donnie first after I read it. And she just wants to know, Donnie, what is your favorite joke? Now you're putting me on the spot. That's, that's you know, I, I just don't appreciate that. Um, yeah, first off, so I just I just want to uh, I want to explain here. I did not have the questions going into the podcast this week. I, I Or if he sent them to me, I did not look at them. I have not seen these questions. This is at the bottom. That's why I, I, you know I what happens. Okay, I yeah, I can I can spare you some time. So I took this question, and I you know I'm Kira's asking me for me to like tell her a joke that'll make her laugh. But how I took this question was of course sports. So I was like, who's like the biggest joke in sports? So I found out that the Arizona Coyotes and the Detroit Lions those are are the two biggest jokes because the Lions have been a team like forever, and they've only won four NFL championships ever, and none of them are Super Bowls, and they have no playoff wins since 1991. And I looked it up. They played 92 seasons, and they have seven playoff wins. That I think that is, like, the funniest joke. Like, how do you play 92 seasons of football, and you've won a playoff game seven times? How is that even, like, possible? Detroit Lions, what are you guys doing? You guys you guys are such a joke. Like, can you guys just, like, make the playoffs and win some games? Oh, like, what's if, going on? If we're going sports jokes. My other one is the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, well, that's how I took it. I, I mean, mean, again, I, you know. This if is if that's how we're going with it, you know, the Padres have I've been um, part of the MLB for 53 seasons. They made the playoffs six times, and they've never won a World Series. So I, you can definitely good. say um, they, they're also the, the least winningest team in MLB history over 53 seasons. Um, so there, there's your uh, there's that. Um, I literally just I Googled funny jokes because that, that's where I'm at here. And the first one that came Let's up go. is, what do you call a boomerang that won't come back? What's that? A stick. That, that would make a lot of sense if you're just throwing a stick. It's, what a joke. It's not coming what, back. What yeah. a joke. Yeah, you know, um, next, Kira, I'll have an answer for you next week. I'm going to have to really think about this one because I was put on the spot and I, I am just, you know, I'm not like a, a joke teller. I'm more of a. Uh, I know. You know. We're not comedians. We're, we're sports analysts. Yeah, you know, I, I, I take advantage of other people's, um, you know, other people's misfortunes to, to make funnies out of them. Not, uh, you know, it, it's hard for me to come up with one on the spot. So, you know, I'll definitely, I'll have something for you next week if I remember. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and, and let us know. If you, listener, right now have a funny joke, let us know next week. We'll read it. We'll see if it makes us laugh. You know, we'll we'll, we'll give it a shout. Um, so, yeah, there, there's Kira. I want to give one more shout-out for just because I, I put this down for favorite joke. Arizona Coyotes, too. I'm taking a shout at you because you've been a team for, like, 25 years since 1996, and they've made the playoffs nine times, and they've only made the conference finals once. So I think the Detroit Lions, a little bit funnier joke than the Arizona Coyotes. You brought out the Padres as well. So, you know, that uh, the my favorite joke is the Detroit Lions. That's how that's how I'm answering that question. But, you know, if you guys have an actual joke, like, we, we'd love to hear it. We'll, uh, we'll give the shout next time. But that sums up our podcast, Roading on the Horn, in the books. Episode 57 we just completed, so we've talked about sports for quite a bit. 57 episodes is quite a bit. Donnie got really upset about the New York Rangers. You know, that's that's really kind of summing up what, what happened. They, they made him upset, so that's really not fun. But that ends our podcast. Definitely give us a follow on social media, at Roth Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Let us know your questions. We'll give them a shout next week. Let us know what you thought of the podcast. Of course, check Wes. Come on the podcast, as always. Donnie, any other final thoughts before we wrap up? Not a whole lot. You covered Check West, so that's important. Um, I just hope everybody has, uh, you know, you have a good day whenever you listen to this. I hope you have a good weekend. Um, whenever the next weekend is, I hope you have a good week, whatever week you're in. Um, you know, the power of positivity, it, it's, a, it's a big, you know, it, it's something we can all use a little bit more of. Um, and, you know, obviously, uh, I just hope everybody has a great day, and I hope you enjoyed this. If you did enjoy this, please, you know, give us a follow on wherever you're listening. You know, it's like obviously Spotify or or um, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast, please, you know, just just follow. Give us a little notification click. Obviously, we have people, 
Like my friend, shouts to Eric. Eric has our notifications on, and every time we have a podcast, Eric uh, mentions me. Well, why was this not out three days ago? Um, you know, obviously, you know, RK and I. The best part about this, RK, no schedule. We just we just do what we want. Yep. And that's that's we what, talk about sports. That is our plan. The thing is, it's like if we had done this podcast yesterday, as you had uh, offered over the weekend, we would have missed out on some some massive massive news. So you know, right. that was like the bulk of our podcast. Yeah. So so I'm just I'm just saying, you know, there's a reason. There's no schedule here because we do it our own way. And it's like if you don't like it, you know, just still listen. Just just don't be mad about it, please. Um, Eric, Eric's a good man. Eric's a loyal listener, so we know. Of course, of course. Um, but yes, everybody, we hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, make sure to leave us questions for next week, or uh, you know, if you want to comment on any takes that we've had, feel free. Um, yeah, we'll talk to you again next week. Have a great rest of your day. Peace, everybody. Peace. We walk the same path, but got on different shoes. Live in the same building, but we got different views. I got a couple cars I never get to use. Don't like my women single, I like my chicks in twos. And these days, all the girls is down the road. I hit the strip club and all them bitches find a pole. Plus, I've been sipping, so this shit is moving kind of slow. Just tell my girl to tell a friend that it's time to go.